Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. Where do you start if you want to sell online to customers around the world? Start with Canada Post's Guide to International Shipping. Download your copy at canadapost.ca forward slash international shipping. Here to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business, it's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Really excited to bring to you something special that I've been working with, and that's a community a new community where we're engaging online with entrepreneurs from around the planet. And I invite you to join me. All you have to do is go to the link www.headspacefe.com where amazing conversations are happening with entrepreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. I am your host, Rivers Corbett, hanging out with some pretty cool entrepreneurs from around the country and occasionally the planet. And today we're going to talk to an entrepreneur who has built his business in order to help other entrepreneurs build theirs. I love it. Please welcome Sam Pillar, the co-founder and CEO of Workflow Management Software Company, Jobber. Sam and his co-founder, Forza. Ziesler launched Jobber in 2011, growing it to a team of over 120 people with tens of thousands of users delivering billions worth of home services in over 40 countries. Under their leadership, Jobber is on the pursuit of better supporting small businesses in a world of mobile services. The software uses a mobile platform to empower their clients by helping them quote, schedule, invoice, and the best part about it, get paid faster. Jobber says their clients are the definition of multitaskers and the company's goal is to help them make the most of their valuable time with an easy to use software that anyone can take advantage of. Sam discovered the world of computer networking and programming when he was 12 and has been a technology lover ever ever since. He studied computer science and business at the University of Alberta, the Golden Bears, and graduated in 2000 
2005 with a degree in business law. I'm going to be interested in how that all connects. He was a management consultant at CGI before moving into freelance software development in 2008 and working as a bartender and bike courier to help pay the bills along the way. There's always the beginning. Starting from scratch seven years ago, Jobber has now raised over $9 million in additional funding, allowing them to open a second office in Toronto, expanding from their Edmonton-based headquarters, where Sam is talking to us from today. In spring of 2018, Sam also won Startup Canada's Prairies Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And on today's podcast, we're going to delve into the challenges faced by many small businesses that often result in productivity and revenue loss and how to build a successful tech company in a technological world. Sam Pillar, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. River, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's really awesome. And I got to dive into, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, uh, I, 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 and particularly those starting off, I said, there's three people you need to stay away from initially. And that is a lawyer, that is an accountant, and that is a banker. And you got a degree in business law. Like that's the, such the opposite of, of risk, man. How did, but then you're a courier and a bartender. How does that all work together? Why business law? This is just more of a personal question than anything. Yeah, sure. So, um, I, you know, and I'll just to be clear, I don't have a, I don't have a law degree. Business right, law is, right. a, is a, is a major offered, uh, in the, the commerce program at the university of Alberta. Ah, okay. Um, but I, but I did have an interest in, in the law. Um, <clears throat> I've been a um, you know kind of self-proclaimed computer nerd all my life. I, I taught myself to program uh, when I was quite quite young. <clears throat> Went to school for uh, for computer science, but ended up um, developing an interest in intellectual property law. Um, and um, kind of from more of an activist perspective, I, I was really interested in in sort of you know copyright and and patent and sort of the the impact on on innovation and, and creativity. Uh, and uh, so so decided that I wanted to kind of explore that path and business law was the, the fastest way to get there. Um, never, Good never stuff. really ended up fully sort of closing that loop <laughs> before getting reinterested in computers and sort of in the mid two thousands, you know, things were going crazy. Twitter launched on Ruby on rails and quickly had to move off. And I was like, what's this Ruby on rails thing? And, and, uh, you know, started, <laughs> just, just got swallowed up in it and, and, uh, ended up, uh, yeah, launching a software company instead. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool, man. Well, I appreciate that. And so here's another quick question on that on that journey of uh, you know the the focus on innovation and patents and so on. When do you because you know a lot of people working in that technological space are always about I got to protect, I got to protect, I got to protect, and I got to protect. When in their journey should they say, okay, now I got to protect versus the sky is falling all the time because they're going to show their technology. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a, a couple of different uh, sort of points of view on this one. I, I think that um, certainly it's important to um, you know develop your your intellectual property portfolio, um, and and in certain sort of areas of of, of innovation and and uh, and you know kind of product development that that maybe is a little bit more important than than in others. I think that uh, for software and technology companies in general, though, there tends to be um, a, a little bit of an, an an overeager propensity to, to, to protect your ideas. Everyone thinks their idea is, uh, is just, you know, so important and really precious. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. it's not, it's not. 
Uh, and you're, you're, you almost certainly are not the, um, the first, second or third person to have that idea or to even be working on a product. Uh, so I think that for, for in most cases, it's best to actually um, share it, talk about it, um, <clears throat> you know, generate as much discussion and conversation about your idea uh, as, as you can. And, uh, and, then, and then go execute. Execution is everything. Execution uh, and timing are, are, I think, far more important than, uh, than, than the idea. Uh, obviously, that, that has its limitations. Certain, so, some ideas are, are truly unique and original, and, and uh, those ones <laughs> you should probably seek to protect. But generally speaking, um, you know, the idea is, is kind of a dime a dozen. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I was at a conference uh, in Halifax once where there was a woman from Arizona in the tech world, and uh, that's exactly what she said. It was You can see the bubble being kind of just deflated, and she gets up. She says, I'm going to tell you guys, there's people out in the world that have already, that are doing your idea and they're four years ahead of you. <laughs> it was such a, you know, it, the, the boastfulness just dropped. So I'm so glad you entered into that world. Get on, share your idea and, uh, and, uh, and, and move it to market sooner rather than later, rather than get hung up on, on the, uh, on the, on the patent side of it. Um, you, uh, I, I want to know about, I want to, like, seriously, your, 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 your whole background is so diverse. What, and it's good, by the way, it's all great, but why did, why job or what was the point that, that you said, this is what I'm going to do? And did you, was your co-founder initially involved with you or was it just you solo? Yeah, no, good, good question. Um, and I, you know, understand the, the confusion given the, uh, the, the bio and the background. It's all um, good. It's all I, good. Uh, and I, and I think that that sort of diversity of experience is, is really important in particular. Um, I think everyone should have to work a service industry job, a job where you are, are doing something facing the public. You have to deal with a you know, high volume of people across a broad spectrum of, of you know, attitudes. And uh, I think that's really helpful. Uh, it's, it's something that, uh, that we actually look for at Jobber, in particular for our customer-facing teams. Uh, it's a really valuable background. In fact, um, <clears throat> the person who runs our, our customer success org uh, came from, uh, from a, a, a bartending background. She spent many years years uh, working at a bar dealing with uh, with people that are that are far more difficult to deal with than than our than our wonderful customers so totally so but but uh, yeah you, you know to, to to go back to the original question you know why jobber um, you know I, I uh, as I mentioned became uh, sort of reinterested in in computers and programming and technology in general in the mid-2000s um, around the time that uh, you know Facebook and Twitter were really coming up uh, into into prominence and uh, there were rapid sort of web development frameworks uh, you know really kind of coming to, to, to the forefront at the time and Ruby on Rails in particular was one of them that um, I, I became aware of and started sort of getting interested in and, and it, it sort of was was a, a sea change at the time where um, you know a single developer working with one of these platforms could build real software uh, and and deliver real value and real benefit to users as opposed to um, you know not not too 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 long prior where it would take a team of people using a much right. heavier set of software development tools in order to do that. So <clears throat> so I, I started working on um, on some some personal projects to help me learn and then um, you know sort of fell backwards into a couple of freelance projects and uh, gradually actually developed a uh, a freelance software development um, practice that I uh, worked on full time. 
And so that was sort of the uh, the transition period, the the bartending and the bike couriering was happening sort of uh, in in combination. I gradually phased those out and, and focused all of my attention on uh, on the freelance stuff. And a few of the projects that I worked on were for small businesses, and uh, in particular small home service businesses, the kinds of businesses that go out into the field to um, you know maybe a, a residential <clears throat> property to perform a service or a commercial property to perform a service. And can you give us an example? Sorry to interrupt. Can you give us an example of that just so for for concept or just so that the audience understands from a perspective? Uh, one, of the, one of the earliest companies that uh, that we worked with is a, is a business called Painters Enterprise. Um, they were our very first customer and and uh, are still a customer today, very, very proudly, I, I can say that. And um, um, so, you know, a painting company is a perfect example of one of these businesses that, you know, it, it, can, be a, it can be a relatively small business, just a, a few people who um, you don't need, you know, a whole lot in the way of, of you know, tools or, or you know, capital investment to to get up and running with a business like that but there's a lot to keep track of and if you if you are uh you know successful in in you know getting a business like that off the ground very quickly you've got you know customer relationships to deal with you know requests to to come out and quote for work you've got you, you know you've got to be able keep track of the promises that you're making and the, the bids that you're, you're delivering and, um, you know, this, this, the schedules that you're setting up, you tell a customer that you're going to be, um, you know, a certain place at a certain time to perform a certain sort of bill of work. You better make sure that you're there at that time, uh, ready to perform the, the, the work. And then of course, after the fact, you need to be able to, uh, to, to, to bill for it and get paid. Um, right. which you would be surprised is actually where a lot of these, these businesses, um, fall down is, is cash flow and, and just staying on top of, um, of getting paid. And, and so Jobber really helps them do that. But in the early days, those were some of the common denominator challenges that I saw in some of these businesses that I was working with. Uh, you know, it seemed to me that these were probably challenges that were shared across a lot of different kinds of, of industries. I didn't realize quite uh, how many at the time, but um, yeah. you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it, it's, it's very large. I mean, we're servicing in excess of, of 50 different distinct industry verticals today, you know, painting wow. is one of them, but, you know, landscapers, lawn care businesses, HVAC companies, plumbers, electricians, and a whole sort of uh, long tail of, of really niche specific industries. So, you know, like maybe mobile music tutoring or um, poop mm. scooping, which mm. is a hot mm. industry of poop scooping companies that'll come between the in your backyard. So, um, so yeah, so that was, that was <laughs> the, um, you know, I identified this common denominator set of challenges. But I also just thought small business was really cool. I really thought it was awesome that, you know, two or three people could just decide that they're going to start a business and just go start delivering the service. They just start doing the service, start sort of cutting lawns and, um, and, and you get paid for that first job. And then it's like, Hey, I could do this. And, and you go get a few more customers and, and uh, get paid, you know, a few more times and eventually, you know, maybe hire your first employee and you can, anybody, can can start a small business. Um, that's not to say that 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 anybody is um, is is able to actually successfully do it. It's actually incredibly difficult, and I have um, a, a huge amount of respect for small business owners, people who have the the bravery and the tenacity to to take the leap and, and start a small business like that. And that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about what we uh, what we do here at Jobber. I, you know, I, as I'm listening to you, Sam, uh, and you are, you are 
re you are emphasizing the the pure essence of the book, the E Myth Revisited, which is uh, about the technician wants to start their business, but when and because they're talented in a particular area, but ultimately they become overwhelmed with all the administration associated with it that they never really get to do what they love to do and they're talented at and that they can make some money at. And you've just afforded them that luxury to be able to do what it is they love, but still do all the mucky stuff that uh, that they must do and like get paid. And it's great to have accounts receivable if there's not money in the bank. So I, I, I love that intersection of, of a technician, which is where a lot of entrepreneurs start to be able to help them to start, but then grow their business into bringing other people on. And that's when really the leveraging starts and you've got a, a great opportunity or great business that uh, that you've developed. So congrats, congratulations on it. That's really great. Oh, so who... Who was your first customer? Well, that so uh, guy named Graham, uh, who owns. I love it. Uh, you know his name. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. He's a he's yeah. a bit of a celebrity around here. So so yeah, Graham is uh, he's the painting company. So his company, I'll give him a plug. Painters Enterprise. He's got uh, multiple locations now. Um, you know, here in in, in Alberta, and I, I believe he 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 may have spooled something up in BC as well. Um, but um, you know, he and and Graham, he's he's just a um, was a huge influence on us in the early days. Forrest and I spent a lot of time with him. He was very generous with his time, which is something that small business owners really tend to undervalue. A lot of small business owners um, they they spend a lot of their time on you know administrative tasks that um, you know they're essentially doing for free they don't they don't attach a value to uh to to, to the time that they're spending on on those tasks so um i again with the benefit of hindsight have um you know a a huge amount of appreciation you owe a debt of gratitude to the number of hours that uh that graham spent with us uh providing feedback on on the early iterations of the software and, and sort of the updates that we were making and also uh, got to thank him for the lunches he bought for us uh, as well. For- Forrest and I weren't uh, we weren't eating very well in the early days of the company. So <laughs> that's so. What do you say to what do you say to uh, to people that are entrepreneurs that are going through their their first year or two? And I mean, I, I hear it all the time. I I don't want to pay myself. I don't want to pay myself. I'm of the philosophy: you got to pay yourself something uh, along the way to at least get some level of reward, even if it's five hundred dollars a month. What's your and you were talking about? You know, you're barely scraping by it's it's just the it's just a wonderful story but what do you say to people about about paying yourself and when do you start paying yourself not necessarily how much what's your thoughts on that yeah no it's a it's a good point i mean you're not going to um you're not going to be a very effective um you know business person you know, in, in the case of Forrest and I, we were both software developers. Um, so, you know, you're not going to be a very effective programmer if you're if you're starving to death. So, you, you, you yeah, you absolutely have to, you know, figure out a way to have your basic needs taken care of. Um, you know, we were fortunate at the time uh, to, to both be in positions where, you know, we were able to take on a bit of credit card debt. We had um, a little bit of, of contract work on the sides. You know, I was, you know, bartending. And so there were, there were things that we were able to do to, 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 
you know, cover off our needs and, and make a bit of uh, a little bit of money um, to support ourselves. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that as soon as you're, you know, as soon as we raised our, our first seed round um, or, or shortly after, I think it wasn't as soon as, but shortly after we raised our first seed round in, in 2012, uh, we started paying ourselves an actual salary, you know, uh, nice. very, a very small amount of money, like less. How than, much was it? How much? I think we were paying ourselves 32,000, 30 or 32,000 uh, a year, I think is the first, actually it might've been 20, might've been 25. Um, and then we short, we short, we quickly moved it up to sort of 30 or 32 and that's, and it stayed there for a very long time. We, that's what we paid ourselves. Now, you know, we live in, we lived in Edmonton. Um, this is, you know, 2012, 2013. So, um, you know, we were able to, you know, pay the rent and, uh, and, you know, and have a little bit of money for food, but, you know, we certainly weren't making RSP contributions or anything like that. At the time. <laughs> and I'm, not, and I'm not suggesting that that's, that that's, you know, something that you should, should neglect, but, um, you know, there are, there are, for us, that, that was, you know, the sacrifice yeah. that we were willing to make. And we were really excited about the opportunity, um, that was in front of us and, and believed in what, what this could be. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's what we did. And sometimes that's what you have to do. Lots so, of debt. Um, <laughs> Lots of yeah. Yeah, debt. of course. Yeah. That's just it. I mean, it's always the un, untold story, right? It's the, uh, it, it's the glamorizing of, uh, of, of what the journey we all go on as entrepreneurs, but there's again, the muck, you never see the muck, you never see the swamp, you never see the sleepless nights from those that don't understand what it is we do, let alone why we do it and what it is that we do. <laughs> so when you started, uh, you and Forrest, uh, in 2011, dude, you're at over 120 people right now. Closer to 160, of, I think now actually. Ah, I love it. See, uh, that's how fast things are moving. <laughs> that's cool. But you get tens of thousands of users and you're in over 40 countries. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think we're, uh, yeah, some, something around 40. I mean, you know, our, our, our real key focus is North America, but, um, yeah. you know, that the beauty of having a, having a product on the internet is there's, there's yeah. really no, no limit. So yeah, we've got, we've got customers all over the world. So did you foresee that? Did you actually plan for that to have customers all over the world? Was it primarily just North America that you were eyeing in the first five years, if I could break it down into that time period? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I mean, I, it, was, it was very early on. Um, that that we saw our first international interest, and um, and I, I think it was from uh, um, Australia and New Zealand, uh, and so we we realized early on that there was international opportunity. Um, and, and in particular in the English speaking international world, um, it, you know, it so happens that, that, you know, English is, is very common, um, you, you know, globally. And so there are, there are a lot of, of countries where even if that is not the, uh, the natively spoken language, um, it's, it's perfectly acceptable for, for an app, uh, to, 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 you know, to, to be primarily in, in, in English. Um, so, I mean, we, we, we always knew that the international opportunity was, was there and we, we, we took today, uh, know that the international opportunity is there and it's, it's very large, but, um, you know, from, a from, a you know, our ability to properly support our customers in time zones that are, um, you know, relevant for, for, for them and our ability to also understand, uh, from a go-to-market perspective, what the, the, the local sort of norms and, and customs are, North America just is, you know, makes the most sense. And that's where most of our, most of our energy is, is spent today. Um, that's not to say that that's, uh, you know, that that's always going to be the case. We're, we're, you know, very, as I mentioned, very aware of the international opportunity, but, uh, but today North America is the focus. And, and, uh, and I can say that, you know, most of our, most of our customers are, are in North America. 
What's the country you're in right now, you guys? Uh, what's the one country you say? Really? We're in that country? No way. <laughs> I think um, we had a we had a we had one customer um, in in Kazakhstan, which yeah, I love it was uh, was really and I think it might have been a it might have been sort of like a, a foreign national sort of service. I, we, we're not quite sure what, what that was, but that, that, <laughs> somebody mentioned that one day and it, it, it popped it up counts. as a cleaning company. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. that, was, that was interesting. That's so cool. Yeah, my buddy is the uh, is the director of international sales for the Canadian Mint, the Royal Canadian Mint, and he, he gave me a pen once from the Bank of Kazakhstan. That's mm. a, it is. It's it's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, so that's really really awesome. Let's kind of uh, dive into uh, you know the, the at being a tech company. You know, in, in in business world where there's where technology is becoming so prominent, and you've been able to really take advantage of that. Do you have any advice for someone who is starting up their own tech company today in 2019 from when you started in 2011? Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting question. You see a lot of, of companies uh, these days trying to eschew the sort of reality of their background and, and sort of distance themselves from um, the fact that they are you know, maybe an insurance company and then, and, and they're trying to spin a, a narrative that we're a, we're a tech company. Now everyone wants to be a tech company. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and I think, you know, what that, what that does is, um, it kind of, in a, in a way disrespects the customer, uh, the, the, the customer who is, is, is coming to you as a business for a service doesn't care uh, whether you consider yourself a tech company or not. They're 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 coming to you to to solve a problem that they have. Wow! Uh, and you wow. need to do whatever it takes to, to solve that problem. And I think it is a reality that that in you know the current environment and and going forward, really like almost any company is, is a tech company and any kind of business could, yeah, yeah, could spin the totally. narrative that they're a tech company, but technology, that, clean, that cleaning company in Kazakhstan is a tech company exactly. using your product. Yeah. 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 So, so I think you, you need to leverage technology in all of the places that it makes sense in order to deliver a better product to your, your, your customers. Um, but you know, when I think about, about job, I mean, yeah, we're a tech, company where we're, we're software as a service business and you know talking to um, you know investors and, and people like you um, you know that that's the that's the framing that's the context but um, if I, when I'm talking to our customers that's not that's not our how, how we how we frame it we're we're, we're a product company uh, we're a solutions company we are we are right. delivering value to our customers we're solving problems for our customers helping them uh, be more successful uh, in in their business, and there's a lot of different ways that uh, that we that we do that, and that we will do that in the future. Uh, it so happens that we heavily leverage technology in order to do it, but um, mm. I think it's it's important to always keep mm. in mind that you you exist, you know, because of your customers, and you need to be delivering value to your customers, and and that's that's not necessarily um, intrinsically or or directly related one to one with the, the the premise that you're a technology company. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you're right. It's the sexy world, and and it, and it is how we, you know, media leads into it. Oh, this this tech company, this tech company. I, I you know, I, I I love. It's a mic drop comment you just made, and I think it's a great reinforcement for exactly why one you you are in business, but two, 
at a higher level, you should feel passionate about your business. And and uh, I read a quote, quote the other day, and I know it'll resonate with you. It, it said, fall in love with solving your customer's pain, not the solution to fall. Uh, that's uh, solving the, 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 the customer's pain. Fall in love with solving, helping them, helping them. And technology is just a part. Of, I love that you brought that in. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, yeah, I really, really like very that cool. quote. That's yeah. yeah, all in love with this. It's helping you solve the, your customers' pain, not the solution itself. Very cool. Um, tell me about you and Forrest. How, what's uh, how? First of all, uh, how did you two decide to be co-founders, and who was what when you started? Were you always the CEO? Yeah. So we um, we we didn't know each other prior to starting the the company. We were both freelance developers um, back in you know 2010, uh, and and you know for for a few years prior, uh, we kept running into each other in coffee shops that we frequented. So yeah. uh, I was working on um, you know my freelance stuff and and uh, and also uh, working on on what would eventually become Jobber, and. Um, we, we just kept running into each other. It was obvious we were both programmers, you know, black screen with code on it, super cliche. And um, we, we just got to talking to each other one day um, at one of the, the places that we, that we frequented. I told him about what I was working on. And, uh, and Forrest said, holy crap, I, like a friend of mine works at a painting company and he was just asking me <laughs> whether I know of any software that might you know help them solve some of these challenges in their business. And that painting company was Painters Enterprise, who later yeah. went on to become our first customer. Um, so yeah, exactly. So so he he was immediately uh, intrigued and and interested and and saw the the need and. Um, so we we spent um, you know a couple weeks uh, kind of like you know kind of hacking on ideas to, to together around uh, around this this product. Uh, it became immediately apparent to me that Forrest was a uh, a better developer than than me. He, he's a real engineer with the ring and everything to to, to prove it. <laughs> with the ring, <laughs> and I was, not uh, the wedding, not the wedding not ring. The, no, not the wedding ring. Yeah, so. <laughs> You know, I, you know, it was, uh, you know, he just had a lot of really great ideas, a lot of really good input. And, and, um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of, it just felt like there was a real opportunity. So we, we decided to formalize the company and go 50, 50 and just put our heads back down and, and, uh, and grind out a first version of, of the, the product, get it in front of painters enterprise. Um, we ended up iterating a number of times before, uh, you know, having the, the ultimate version that they, uh, that they started using to, to run their, their, their business. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was sort of like the, the origin story. We, um, you know, we were both software software developers who were both, you know, working on the product. Um, but when it came time to start, um, figuring out, okay, like we need to go to market, we need to, you know, build a, build a website, build some marketing campaigns, um, you know, do some cold calling. Um, I, I took on sort of most of, of that side of the house and, uh, uh-huh. and you know, for, Forrest, uh, um, did a little bit of it as well. Like we both, we both cold called, we both 
called, um, you know, phone numbers out of the yellow pages to, to just, you know, beg, beg and plead businesses to, <laughs> to, to use our stuff for free at first and, uh, yeah. and we start paying for it. But, um, but generally speaking, um, you know, Forrest <laughs> took on the CTO duties and I took on the CEO uh, duties and, and we, we both were very product focused for the first few, few years. Um, but I gradually took on more and more of the, uh, of the go to market side of the business. And, uh, uh, and he, he, uh, he took ownership of the, the technology side. Who was your third employee? Your first, sorry, your third person on your team who would have been your first employee. Well, we had, uh, we, we had a, a couple. And I mean, this is, this is a big learning, I think for, for us, I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today about, um, sort of t- team growth. And I, I have a very, and I didn't, this is not my original thought. I, I can't remember where I heard it uh, at first, but um, everything breaks in a company every time it doubles headcount. And it doesn't matter what the <laughs> absolute number of employees is or the absolute number of people involved. So going from two to four, everything broken four to eight, everything broken. Um, I, I think that is a pretty good general rule. And we've kept an eye out for that over, over the years, um, because it's, it's really kind of held, held true. And if you can stay ahead of that and make sure that your systems and processes, um, you know, kind of keep up then then, uh, then, then you'll avoid some, some hardship. But in the early days, um, you know, our, we had a couple of first employees and, um, you know, I think, you know, neither Forrest or I knew anything about having employees or having a team so like <laughs> learning about hiring and hiring the right people and making sure that you're you're creating um you know the environment that is going to best encourage and allow those people to be successful was something that we didn't know anything about so so we had a we had an intern um you know kind of software developer type person um and uh and we also had a, a salesperson um, and, uh, and th- which is interesting because one of our, yeah, one of our very first, you know, within that first four, uh, was, a was a salesperson. And, and, uh, uh, I think that was a really important thing to, to be thinking about, um, sales very early on in the headcount. Like we need to be in front of yes. customers. Now we had the, we had the benefit of Forrest and I already having spent a couple of years, uh, developing the, the product. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, that's, that's not the case for, for a founding team, uh, but I, w- I would always give the advice to have, um, you know, have, have some kind of sales focus early on. Uh, probably better that a founder be be kind of focusing on that and getting that immediate direct feedback and experience from the market to to, to funnel into into the company development. But um, again, we we had done that already, so I'd spent. Um, you know, a year probably, um, you know, doing some of the development, some of the, some of the, you know, marketing, building ad campaigns, uh, and also cold calling and and, then talking to people on the phone and then doing, doing customer support. Of course, and I both did that. Our early handful of customers had our, had our cell phone numbers and, or we had a system that would just forward to our cell phone numbers and answer questions, uh, any time of day. But, but, uh, yeah, they were, they were sort of both sales and, uh, and software development, both of our first. Yeah, the business, the business, this is where the business law intersects with the bartender. I love it. I think it's so cool. Well, you know, and you touch upon a, 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 a um, uh, I, I'll call it a soapbox issue that I have recently taken on to yell as much as I can is that we, we teach, 
we teach and preach to our startup community so much that you need to develop pitch decks to go out and raise money. And you've raised money, which is, which is awesome uh, because there are times when you do need to raise money, but we teach and preach that you need to start doing that right from the very beginning when selling something will, will, will very nicely bring money into your business. And at that point in time, you are now dealing with cash flow, which you can then fund yourself to get to a level that, Hey, I haven't given up a bunch of my company to get to this point. I can now uh, use that equity that remains and really get a nice return when it comes to getting funders. So I love that you've emphasized that. So thank you for taking us on that journey. Yeah, no, there's no question. Revenue is the best way to capitalize your business. That's easy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They'll come running to you. If you got a bunch of revenue in your way, it's beautiful. So what's uh, um, a couple more questions, uh, Sam, and then, uh, we're going to let you get back to your busy day, but, um, your 160 people, are they all in Edmonton? Nope. We have, uh, an office in Toronto as well. Um, that is, we're now actually, we're, we're two years this month. Um, we opened the office in, in Toronto and, uh, so we're, we're about a hundred and, uh, 130 or so here in Edmonton. And, and then, uh, you know, 20, 25, uh, 25 to 30 or so, uh, plus or minus, uh, numbers are always moving obviously, but, uh, but at yeah, 25 or 30 in, in Toronto, uh, and that office is growing, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, both, the both, both offices are, are multifunctional. There's not, uh, you know, we don't have our, you know, sales and marketing and in, in one place and, and product in another or anything like that. We, we want to be able to have, um, two, um, two offices and in, in two, um, really great Canadian markets um, that are, are multifunctional in nature and, and can have any, 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 any kind of uh, person in. Cool. Um, last question is about scaling. You guys grew quite fast um, in relative terms. Uh, what's the one lesson you would give about what you learned from scaling? And I know there's, there's 5,000 of them, if not more, but what's the one thing when you sit back having that beer or wine, presuming you drink uh, that you sit back and you say that that's the one that I'm going to remember the most that I need to have learned. I wish I had learned that first. Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier already this, this principle that, that every doubling, um, you know, breaks, breaks everything. Um, but there's, there's a, I think a corollary to that, um, you know, the, the things that break are, are maybe the things that you really need to, to, to sort of develop an appreciation for, uh, as early as possible. And, And so communication, is is one of those things communication channels you know establishing the 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 tenets of the company you know why does why does the business exist um you know how how do how does the organization you know behave what are the what are the most important things that we need to be focusing on and just making sure that 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 there's a, a really good framework in place for ensuring everyone's facing the same direction and rowing in the, in, in the same direction. Um, that's easy to do when you're two people and it's, it's, you know, pre- it's pretty easy to do when you're four or eight or 16, everyone's in the same room. Although even those doublings introduce new challenges, like you have to, you have to explain why things are, are important or, or, or convince the, the, the team to, to trust that this is the direction that makes makes the most sense for reasons X, Y, and Z. Um, when you're 160 people, 
um, the, there's, there's practicalities involved in, in that sort of communication framework and ensuring that everybody has, um, you know, access and, and, uh, the ability to, to, to see in a convenient way, what those, what the answers to those questions are and, and what the most important sort of, you know, directional strategies for the, for the business are, uh, that stuff gets, gets more difficult, multiple offices, you know, p- competing priorities. There's so many things, uh, going on at any given point in time and cutting cutting through the noise um you know regularly is 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 a challenge so that communication piece is key and i I think that's something that uh that i'm still learning and uh and and developing capability around well it's a in any good relationship whether it's one or 160 um that's where ultimately those relationships break down is when you get into the wrong type of communications or none of it at all so and that's a total cultural conversation about how you've grown and uh, i think we got to get you back on the show dude this has been really amazing uh just a, a wonderful journey um what's a book that you like to read a canadian that's written by a canadian Oh, that's tough. Put me on the spot. I know. There. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Like, <laughs> I think you Canadian. should be, you know, for what you've created, you know, you should be, you know, there should be parades for entrepreneurs like you across this country. And yet, we, you know, we're just Canadiana. Like if I said, what's your favorite book, business book, you pull in Richard Branson or somebody like that. <laughs> but we don't say, I want to read the Sam Pillar book. Yeah. That's, no, and, and, nobody, and nobody wants to read my book. Actually, you know what? I have, <laughs> I, I, I have a good one. I have a good one. I mean, I, okay. so I'll, I'll give you two. Um, one of my favorite business books or, or sort of books about startups is, is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, ben Horowitz, I think that's a great book. Um, if you're if you're going to go on the journey of, of building a, a tech company or really any company, I think that's that's a really important one to, to read. Um, and then um, Anthony Lacavera um, wrote. Um, uh, oh, God, I'm going to I'm going to blank on the on the title of the book, but uh, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, um, um, uh, totally blanking on it. Yeah, but it, you know, it catalogs his, um, his challenges, um, building wind and, and, um, and just sort of like the current environment in, in Canada. Uh, with respect to our, our competitiveness uh, internationally, uh, especially in the realm of innovation. I, I think that's um, that's a really good one. Um, <laughs> I got it on my bookshelf. It's How We Can Win by How Anthony Lacavere. There, there you go. That's, yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah, I've met him a couple of times. He's been on the show, and I got a signed copy of it right on my bookshelf here in my office. A great book, great yeah. choice. Yeah. Perfect stuff, dude. Well, look, my friend, uh, I, I can't thank you again. Uh, you keep doing your magic work. We're proud of you. We're, we're so appreciative of your time. And uh, and if there's any way that we can help you, make sure you continue to uh, connect with us because uh, at the end of it, you guys, you and Forrest, are entrepreneurs, and that's what we're supporting. So uh, have a great day. Thanks so much, Rivers. It was, it was really my pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern.